Does does everyone realize what's happening in Boulder with Deion Sanders right now? Apparently not everybody does, and he's being undervalued. You are locked on college football. Your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On College Football. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is your daily one-stop shop to stay up to date with all things realignment, portal, coaching, carousel, everything all the biggest stories in the greatest sport on planet Earth. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get 115 bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Deion Sanders made a lot of noise last year. It was an unbelievable start, and it was a 1-8 finish down the stretch. And he was asked over the course of the season why things weren't going well, and he talked about the need to address things via the transfer portal, to bring in better players, particularly in the trenches. Apparently, odds makers have not caught up to that because their win total on FanDuel is 4.5. It's 4.5. Colorado has done as good a job as you could find in the Big 12 or perhaps anywhere of directly attacking and filling a need to make them a better football team come 2024. So Colorado went 4-8 last year. But by the way, they're not playing in the Pac-12 anymore. They're playing in the Big 12, which if you look at last year's Pac-12, which had you know Washington and Oregon in it and Utah in it and all sorts of other teams, USC, UCLA, those teams are, are not who they're going up against in the Big 12. So their win total on FanDuel being four and a half. Always appreciate our, fan, our friends over at FanDuel, of course. Four and a half, that feels like free money to me. That, that feels like free money if you are so inclined. Because Colorado had a horrendous, I mean just downright terrible offensive line last year. You know who wasn't terrible? Shador Sanders. That's an NFL quarterback. He's got an NFL caliber receiver slash corner in Travis Hunter. He's got other weapons. You know what he needed last year? He needed to be protected, and he wasn't. It was laughable sometimes. The old Mike Tomlin line. It's not funny, but it's laughable how bad the offensive line was for Colorado. Guess what? That is going to be a completely different story in 2024. Shador Sanders was sacked I believe this led FBS 56 times last year. I I, I can't say I've seen a number like that before. In my time following the sport of college football. And Colorado has gone out and they've attacked their, their needs. They've attacked their needs, which is what good programs and good coaches are able to do in the transfer portal. Say, okay, we have a weakness here. We have identified it. Now we need to go and get players who can help us right here, right now. Colorado has brought in five, count them, one, two, three, four, five offensive line transfers. Five, five of them. Plus, they brought in Jordan Seaton, who is the number one offensive tackle in the 2024 recruiting cycle. Will he play as a true freshman? I don't know. Last year, I would have said he's going to walk in and play right away. This year, I'd say, well, he's at least got some stiff, stiffer competition to go up against than he did in 2023. So this is a team that has completely revamped what was one of the worst individual units in all of college football. I mean, you know, USC's defense, broadly speaking, Colorado's offensive line, they were not very good out West last year. 
but this is going to be a different unit. You look at a guy like Tyler Johnson, who was a highly coveted four-star recruit, grades as a four-star transfer, according to 24-7 Sports. He was at Houston last year. That's Power 5 school and and a conference, uh, shall we say, brother-in-arms, fellow conference member in the Big 12. Houston had had him there, and, and now he's going over to Colorado and Jordan Seaton's coming in and other offensive linemen have come in. If you fix that, that Colorado team makes a bowl game last year. If they, if they live up to their potential this season, they can win not only over four and a half games, but they could win somewhere in the ballpark of seven or eight games. Is college football ready for that? Some fans are not. Some fans are not. Now, Colorado had other issues as well. Do you know how many transfers they've added along the defensive line from the Power Five? One, two, let's go not, let's go LeBron James style here. Not one, not two, not three, not four, five power, five transfers. Some guys like Samuel Okunlola were pretty highly sought after recruits. And Colorado has not hit the high school recruiting ranks very hard. They're doing everything via the portal. 23 commits. They've got a recruiting class in 2024 that ranks outside the top 100 nationally, even with five-star and number one overall offensive tackle Jordan Seaton coming in next year. But that is a completely different team. The skill positions weren't Colorado's big issue a year ago, particularly on offense. If you give me an NFL quarterback, a competent offensive line, and good weapons, do you know how many games you can win? Do you know how many teams can even say they have those three things? That is a foundational way to win games in college football. And they're going into the Big 12, a conference that I was talking about on yesterday's show. I think it's a one-bid league. In all likelihood, I think that's a one-bid one bid league because I don't think you have two teams that'll build sufficiently great resumes to where one can lose a conference championship, not get an auto bid, and get an at-large berth when compared to the Big Ten and the SEC. The ACC, probably a one-bid league, but if I had to put money down on who gets two teams in, Big 12 or the ACC, the answer to me is the ACC. But... I digress. The Big 12 is a conference that has got some good teams. They don't have a lot of great teams, which is why I think it's a one-bid league. And when you look at Colorado's schedule, six games at home, six games on the road. If if their if their win total is four and a half, I feel like I feel like I'm talking about 2023 Arizona. Arizona had a win total of four and a half last year. You know what their final record was? 10 and three. Their head coach parlayed it into a bigger job going from Arizona up to Washington. We're going to talk about him later in the show, by the way. This is Colorado's schedule come 2024. North Dakota State, this is not all ordered just yet, but the first three, I believe, are. North Dakota State at Nebraska at Colorado State. Then, once they get into their conference games, they go at Arizona, a team they lost to by just three points a season ago, lost their head coach, a couple key players, but with several key returners. Arizona should be a good team. Colorado almost beat them last year in Boulder. That's a thing that happened. I remember. I was watching. Utah, Baylor, a coach who's fighting for his job. Oklahoma State, high floor, lower ceiling. Kansas State, also very high floor program. I think one of the contenders in the Big 12 next year. Cincinnati at Kansas at UCF at Texas Tech. Are you telling me that a team under a head coach going into a second season with a bevy of returning players, including a future NFL draft pick at quarterback, 
and a future NFL draft pick at either receiver or corner. I think Travis Hunter is probably a corner in the NFL, but capable of playing wide receiver and, and certainly does so at a high level in college. If that team has got a better offensive line, you ever see that movie, The Big Short? One of my favorites of all time. Do you smell that? Do you smell that? What is that? Opportunity. No, money. I smell money. Colorado's win total on FanDuel is at four and a half. I will be surprised if it stays there by the time the season rolls around. Come the end of August, early September, I will be more than a little bit surprised. I would get on that right here, right now. Colorado over four and a half. Like it? I absolutely love it. I'm hammering the buffs. I don't know what the odds makers are not seeing, but this is what I'm seeing. Revamped offensive line, revamped defensive line, returning quarterback, returning receivers. All the ingredients are there for Colorado. Contending in the Big 12, that's a different question. But four and a half as a win total? Yeah, I'm hammering the over there with the Colorado Buffaloes. What about Kalen DeBoer at Alabama? What would you set an over-under at for how long he stays in Tuscaloosa? Mm, mm. Now that's fascinating conversation. Here's a great conversation to have with yourself. Have I checked out FanDuel yet? More just a question to ask. If the answer is no, well, then you should make that answer into I'm going to do it now. The NFL regular season has wrapped up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets if you win or lose. You, you don't actually have to be right. So for example, FanDuel has got Colorado's win total at four and a half. I highly advise, if you are so inclined, to place that bet on the over four and a half because I think they can easily find, they were a four-win team this past year in a tougher conference. Are they gonna be a five-win team in a worse conference as their roster's getting better? With a returning quarterback and Travis Hunter back? Yeah, yeah I, I definitely think so. But whether I'm right or wrong, you place that $5 bet right now as a new customer and you get 150 in bonus bets. You can do that. You can do live same game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, all that and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make your first bet a layup. FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel official partner of the NFL. I just, I just can't four, four and a half, four and a half. Colorado's win total this past year was three and a half, and and they're setting it four and a half. I, I, mm, mm, mm. easier schedule, better roster. To me, that equals more wins than the season before. I think Colorado's a bowl team in 2024. Is the world ready for that? We're, only time will tell. Clay Travis had something to say about Kalen DeBoer that. <laughs> Let's let's just say I have a few thoughts on. So Clay Travis uh, was was on a show and was asked about Kalen DeBoer. And Clay Travis, big Tennessee fan, loves the Vols, pretty sure he resides in that particular state. Here's what he had to say about Kalen DeBoer and how long he'd stay at Alabama. As a, a fan of another SEC program, does Kalen DeBoer scare you at all? Zero. I knew that was Zero. the answer. I knew that was the answer. I mean, I, I, I mean that is the answer uh, because I think Kalen DeBoer will get fired in about four years. Um, Alabama fans are going to have completely unrealistic expectations. Um, 
and what they're going to, what I think Alabama fans are going to recognize, and I think sneakily a lot of them already knew this, but are seeing it now even clearer. Alabama didn't have a dynasty. Nick Saban had a dynasty, and Nick Saban could have had a dynasty at probably ten to twelve, maybe fifteen different college football programs. That's how good he was. And he happened to do it at Alabama, and that's a credit to Mal Moore for going and getting him. And the success that he had, I don't think will ever be equal at any point in any of our lives in college football. And I think partly that's because Saban left right as the paradigm shifted in terms of how college football is being structured. Um, so I think the even if Nick Saban had stayed, I think the ability for him to have dominated on the same level was changing. I think he saw that. I think that's one reason that he was leaving. Credit to the next round for providing the clip right there. All right, so four years is a strange time. First of all, the idea that Saban was going to struggle going forward, I thought was disproven in a year in which they had a developmental quarterback that didn't have a ton of experience and got benched at one point in the year, and Alabama still went on to do what? Oh, yeah, beat the two-time reigning national champion Georgia Bulldogs and get to the college football playoff, he was an overtime away from getting back to the national championship game. So I disagree with that part of the take as well. But when you're looking at Kalen DeBoer and the longevity question at Alabama, Travis says, well, in four years he's going to, why would it be four? If Alabama fans are as anxious and as unrealistic as he thinks, in what world would they endure four years of unacceptable, below-average, not-up-to-standard football. Kalen DeBoer's roster this year, is not he's not going to be able to go on the field as Saban did in many, many seasons and just out-talent the other side. That, that That's rarely going to be the case when he plays a big game this year because their roster has had a lot of different hits. There are talented and unproven guys that are ready to step in. Perhaps we'll see. But Kalen DeBoer is trying to add transfers for a reason. That's what he's historically done. He wants to work with veterans. He wants to work with guys who are established and who he can win football games with right now. So let, let's say in year one, Kalen DeBoer goes 9-3. and three. Alabama's win total on FanDuel is 9.5. Let's say that he goes just under that and, and hits it at 9-3. and three. And that's season one. And Alabama misses the playoff. Are you going to fire Kalen DeBoer? No. No, you're not. You're not going to do that. Kalen DeBoer also, as a head coach, his career record is uh, about 102 and 14. But when he has Alabama's resources, he's suddenly going to struggle. Yeah, okay, got it. But let's say he goes nine and three in the first year. Is that something that you feel can be built upon? Do you think that going into a second year, Alabama is going to take a step backwards? Because if they did, then you might have conversations. But this could come down, as as Clay Travis points out, to what the expectations are for Kalen DeBoer in Alabama. I think in year one, expectations should be tempered because it's kind of, though not to the same extent it is in you know a Washington or uh, you know maybe even at Michigan a, a, as well. It's not the same level of a roster reset. It's still a considerable one, and expectations should be reasonable there. I think nine wins or above is a good first year for Kalen DeBoer. But from year two and on, he has to win double-digit games. 
if Kalen DeBoer were to win nine games in the regular season in year one, and let's just say they lost their bowl game for the sake of argument, let's say they go nine and four. If he builds on that, goes 11 and two the following year, doesn't win the SEC, but gets to the playoff, but loses a game there, you're going to fire Kalen DeBoer? What is, I, I just don't understand the four-year mark. And the other thing, too, when talking about this situation down in Tuscaloosa, is what indicators do you have aside from, well, the roster won't be as good, well, they won't recruit at, at as high of a level, but Alabama not recruiting at as high of a level, which I don't think should be expected given DeBoer's track record in recruiting and the fact that Saban is no longer the head coach, what, what do you have to point to to say, well, see, when Alabama doesn't have as much talent, they're, they're just going to completely, when they can't just out-talent you, they're going to completely crater. Alabama not recruiting at the level they are used to is still a better recruiting situation than, I don't know, 90-plus percent of college football. If Kalen DeBoer just recruits for a couple years inside the top 20, he'll have enough talent to win games. If he finds the quarterback that he wants to work with, like Michael Penix at Washington or Jake Hayner back to his days at Fresno State where he won double-digit games, that's a game, by the way or a season, rather, when he was at Fresno State before he got hired up to Washington, Kalen DeBoer went into the Rose Bowl with far less talent at Fresno State and beat a good UCLA team led by a veteran quarterback and head coach Chip Kelly. So it's not as if Kalen DeBoer is a complete and utter stranger to having, quote-unquote, not the most talented team on the field. But he's going to have a, a team that has more talent in most of his game. And then once you get into these big spots, well, if you were to look at composite team rankings, Washington wasn't as talented as Oregon last year or the year prior, and he went 3-0 against the Ducks and Dan Lanning. This is a guy that just knows how to win. And, and if you don't want to be scared of Kalen DeBoer, that's fine. You do so at your own peril. But this is a guy who knows what he is doing, has run programs successfully, has taken over well-respected brands in two different conferences, Fresno State and then Washington, and all he's done is win. But you think because it's the SEC and he might not recruit at a top five level every year that suddenly Alabama is just going to take a nosedive here. No, they might not win 11-plus games every single year because there are a lot of good teams and there are a lot of good coaches in the SEC. But to think that DeBoer has to recruit at a different level or that he's just not going to be able to put the rosters together, I don't see that whatsoever. The track record with this guy shows. You give him a couple seasons, heck, sometimes it only takes one. Washington went from 4-8 and eight to 11-2. and two. Michael Penix was at the center of that, no doubt about it. And it, I, I don't think DeBoer's got that down in Tuscaloosa. I don't think he's super high on Jalen Milrow because he keeps looking for potential replacements there. But in year two, he's going to have a quarterback plan that he likes, that fits what he wants to do. And things will get rolling, and we'll see if everyone else is still talking about the demise of Alabama. Just because you aren't performing at a perfect 10, think about any of you gymnastics fans out there, well, guess what you're about to be. If you've been averaging a score of 995 on your routine over and over and over again, and then suddenly a shift happens, 
If you go out and suddenly average a 9.9, you're still better than just about everyone else and can compete at the highest level in the sport. Joining me now here on Locked On College Football, Roman Tomashoff, the host of the Locked On Huskies podcast on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Roman, is Jed Fish going to stick around in Seattle? He was asked this question at his presser. He didn't exactly give the answer Husky fans were probably looking for after their coach departed for Alabama following two seasons. So, Spencer, you, you bring up a great point there, where we, especially over on Lockdown Huskies, we've got a whole lot of Arizona fans in our comments saying, oh, have fun. He'll be gone in two years, three years. He'll, he'll be off the NFL, which if the NFL comes calling, Troy Dannon seemed like he was very prepared for that. Washington's athletic director. He seemed like he was very prepared for that statement. But, you know, the, the, the question is, who knows, right? If Washington's roster continues to deteriorate at this point and he has a four and eight, five and seven, six and six year, he might be here for three or four years. If he's able to salvage this roster, go, you know, say eight and four, do it again the year after, continue to build, maybe he has gone in two or three years. It's a great question because it is one of the great unknowns in this world of college football, right? Where if we were sitting here having this discussion on, I don't know, November 23rd, I think we'd both be laughing at the fact saying, oh yeah, Kalen DeBoer is going to be gone and he'd be the next head coach at Alabama. So it's just kind of the ever-changing world of college football at this point. It is, and I think he was very honest about that to his credit. Not every coach is. A lot of coaches will project an image of, I'm I'm here, I'm your guy. You know, the first person I remember doing this in college football was Lane Kiffin at Tennessee, and he was there for one season and then bounced to go over to, to USC. And what's curious about this situation, why I ask you about it, is Jed Fish is a graduate of the University of... Florida. Florida and, and Florida is coming off a year in which they went five and seven, which is not the Florida that I grew up with as a kid, but that's the Florida that we've really had for the last couple of years. Billy Napier is going into year three. I can't imagine the Florida donors and boosters and athletic department are are thinking he's done an outstanding, amazing, very good, awesome, your job is totally safe performance so far in his couple seasons. So that seems to me the job that he is going to be tied to the Florida job, that is, if if it were to come open. Am, am I crazy for thinking that? No, not at all. And that 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 is the one where you, you say, outside of any potential NFL opportunities, where you would say, yeah, this seems like it might be a pretty good fit for him. But I think it's one of the biggest things that it's going to come down to is Billy Napier's buyout. What's that going to look like if, you know, he doesn't get fired for recruiting violations or whatever it is that I, it looks like is going on down there in the swamp right now, where that's going to be the, the biggest question in all this, right? Where are they going to be willing to pay up to not only fire him just for the poor performance, but then add an extra probably 10 to 12 million, whatever it might be, whatever that, that would be for. Um, I think this is Jim monopoly Fitch. money. Jimbo Fisher was paid 75 million to go away. I think at Florida, in Gainesville, with what that program is capable of being in college football, I, I have a hard time seeing. I understand it's a lot of money, but I, I think down there, if they really feel after this season, I think Napier will be given the season unless it's just a complete and utter calamity to begin the year, which I, I don't necessarily anticipate in the SEC. But if he if he tosses up another five and seven or goes four and eight this year. Oh, man, I, I have a hard time seeing the University of Florida bringing him back for a fourth season. Like, this is year three. you got to put something on the table. So, Spencer, I agree with you. But 
you and I were just talking before, before this started about the state of Washington's roster, were we not? And what if we see that exact same scenario play out in Seattle? To, to no fault of Jed Fishes, with the way this roster looks, after Kalen DeBoer kind of cleaned out the cupboards, and we saw so many players depart for the NFL draft, which was expected. Not and not it doesn't have anything to do with that. But we saw so many veteran players on this team decide to go play their final season elsewhere. We've seen Mish Powell commit to, to Miami. We might see Ace Turner speaking of Florida. We might see him at end up at end up in Florida. We've seen Nate Kaleppo and Julius Bulow take visits elsewhere. We've seen a couple other offensive linemen take visits elsewhere. Where if this season kind of does blow up on Jed Fish. And, you know, we, we, we see them go four and eight, five and seven. Would that be the guy that Florida fan, if, uh, the, these Florida boosters are going to look at and just say, well, look, because that's one of, one of the, the main pushback that, that we've seen uh, just from a Washington perspective after this hire was made was, oh, well, his career record isn't great. Oh, well, this isn't great. Well, and it's just, well, is, is he really just that kind of winner where personally, I think you and I believe that, yeah, he is a really good coach and he is doing a lot of good things, but would that be justifiable? from a Florida sense of, Oh yeah. You know, let's, let's say he goes four and eight, right. Then what, then what's his record overall 20 and 32 or something like that. I don't think that that would necessarily get a ringing endorsement. From well, the of things. well, well the, the, the record itself wouldn't be that impressive, but the transformation of Arizona is well-documented sure. at this right. point. And, and depending on how things do go in Washington, we're going to get to who his quarterback will be in 2024. Cause Will Rogers, who was kind of the biggest quarterback name, in the portal has decided to stay with the Huskies and play for Jetfish, which is notable here. But I want to pose this question to you, Roman, because I've now talked about both these guys on today's show. And I think I think I can really go either way, because if if Fish has a tough year in Seattle because the roster is just not ready to compete and it's a five and seven, six and six, you know, whatever sort of year for, for, for the Huskies as they go into the Big Ten, and everything does implode in games. Well, maybe that doesn't inspire as much confidence as you're talking about. But what if Billy Napier goes seven and five this year, wins a bowl game, has eight and five, and they say, okay, you got one more year to be a conference contender down there in Florida. And by year two, Jed Fish has things rolling at Washington, and then things come away. I, I think that could all get really fascinating here. But here's the question I want to ask you Who lasts longer at their new coaching position? Kalen DeBoer in Alabama or Jed Fish at Washington? Oh, that's a good question. Where it's, I, I want. Mm, that's a hard question to answer, that is isn't it? That's a very hard question. Where you never want to be the guy that follows the guy, right? Like that's. that's that depends really on who you are. Sure. No, 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 but, but like just in a grand scheme of things, like I, I, as a Patriots fan, I'm very happy that Gerard Mayo is the one following Bill Belichick. I'm very excited about that. Just, just, just for some perspective there. But when you look at what Kalen DeBoer's track record is kind of on the recruiting trail, that's going to be the biggest question when it comes to what Alabama looks like. Like, let's say they go eight and four this year, right? I feel like looking at their record, their, uh, their, their, their schedule. Their win total is nine and a half on FanDuel. Yeah, I would say that's what I was going to go where I think nine and three is like kind of the bare minimum just from like a brief overview of their schedule and what the roster looks like right now. So if they go eight and four where there's some loss that you might not have expected in there somewhere, plus the the recruiting is kind of what we saw year one at Washington where it's, oh, there are some questions here. There there might be some things to build on. And then in year the, the second year, it doesn't necessarily take the jump that you're looking for. I might have to lean Jed Fish. I know I'm biased. I know this. I, I, I'm the lock, one of the lockdown Huskies guys here. But 
it's it's very hard to say that Kalen DeBoer might not have a longer leash uh, in terms of you know you, you want you want to be able to. I agree with that. In, with with a Nick Saban reset there. Yeah, I think the Alabama fans' expectations will determine how long DeBoer is able to ultimately last because you know if year one is eight and four or nine and three. Does that, you know, drum up calls for him to be, no, this was a bad hire. It's not right or anything like that. Or is he given time uh, to, to really develop things there? But speaking of development, a really big one came down for Washington as it pertains to the 2024 season. Will Rogers, the former Mississippi State Bulldog and former Washington Husky transfer portal commit and former Washington Husky decommit and current Washington recommit via the portal. College football is fun. He's going to play for Jed Fish. I think that's huge to establish a, a just a floor of production at the quarterback position for the Huskies this fall. I couldn't agree with you more where right now Washington has two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. They've got Will Rogers and they've got four-star Demond Williams, where we saw Demarcus Davis decide to enter his name in the transfer portal. Obviously, we know what happened with Michael Penix. Austin Mack follows Kalen Board to Alabama. And Dylan Morris is at James Madison. So... Some of that attrition was expected. The Demarcius Davis, uh, even Austin Mack to an extent, wasn't necessarily as, you know, as expected. But this is so big for Washington because while Will Rogers might not be an eye-popping, you know, future first round kind of talent, I still think that he's a really great quarterback. And I think he has a future in the NFL where he's really good at being he's really a really smart guy where he'll be able to learn the system he'll be able to, to distribute the ball as, as you know assuming Washington can find him a couple more playmakers which is the way that the roster is shaped out again but I think that this is really great because it it you don't have to throw somebody like Demond Williams who I'm really high on I really love his film you don't necessarily have to throw him into the fire right away you can have him sit and learn the system which is what he was going to do at Arizona behind no Fita and you can let him develop a little bit, gain some chemistry with some of these younger guys, because I really like some of these younger receivers uh, that Washington has a lot. And then, you know, you can kind of go from there where it's it's a really nice reset where I don't want to call Will Rogers a stopgap in the sense of his talent, but in the sense of the way the roster is shaping up, he'll be a perfect stopgap for 2024. I, I, I think that's the a great way to look at it. And it's typically something you see in the NFL, something you typically talk about in the NFL, but I think in this instance, as you said, with Washington's roster, they're, they're just not going to have the pieces to compete in 2024. I, I think working to continue a culture of winning, continue to make Washington an attractive place for transfer targets and for recruits to go going forward it is what the Huskies are trying to accomplish in in what looks from the outside like a, a reset year in, in 2024. Roman Tomashoff, host of Locked On Huskies at R. Tomashoff 34 on X, formerly known as Twitter. Thanks as always, my man. Great to have you on the show. Spencer, thanks for having me. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.